Ladies and gentlemen, on this episode of Best of All Leading League Sports, this is a strictly UFC-based episode as we have so much to talk about. We're talking about UFC 287, the recap, what's next for the winners and losers of the entire card. And then on top of that, we have a few new fights that have just been announced in the combat sports world. And lastly, we have Arnold Allen versus Max Holloway going down this weekend. Stay tuned. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, UFC 287, first of all, was an insane experience. Thank you again to my mom for allowing me to have that for my 21st birthday. It was one of the best experiences. Met so many great people. Um, you know, I was able to meet Justin Gaethje. I was able to meet Stephen Thompson. I was able to meet Vincente Luque, Kamaru Usman's manager, Ali Abdelaziz. I got to meet um, Cub Swanson, Claudia Gadella. I mean, I've met so many great people. And uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully doing something with all of them very soon. That's just to name a few. And also, I got to meet Vitor Belfort and Chuck Odell. Incredible stuff. All I know is I'm very excited to probably be able to interview them and everything like that. So I'm very excited to see what's gonna what the future's gonna hold for all those guys. And I'm really excited to be covering more of this sport. And uh, I got to talk to a few people who are in, you know, roles where they could probably help me get in contact with the fighters more and on top of that just maybe even work for the ufc one day so i'm pretty excited for that but anyways let's go ahead and get into the recap so we have israel adesanya regains his middleweight throne after a second round knockout against alex Pereira. gilbert burns dominates jorge masvidal in my opinion kevin holland picks parts and finishes santiago ponzinibbio Raul Rosas Jr. loses to Christian Rodriguez. Rob Font, arguably with a knockout of the night candidate as he knocks out surging prospect Adrian Yanez. And then Kelvin Gaslam stuns Curtis, Chris Curtis for a decision win in which Curtis wants to have overturned. So, for the winners and losers of this fight. So, Gaslam, he, he obviously won a pretty close fight. And it was one of his best fights that he's put on in a while. I mean, he looked completely revamped. His striking looked so much better than it has in the most recent years. And on top of that, for him, uh, I think for where he goes next, personally, Gastelum, and if this fight does get overturned, which we don't know because Curtis is looking to have it appealed, um, for both guys, the one thing that I got to say is Chris seems to be more fortunate to get in the octagon because it seems like Gastelum has had um a few issues with injuries and such um but for Gaslam, i think right now he needs to fight someone in the top 10 uh per like perhaps maybe Derek brunson or jack hermanson in the top 10 and for for curtis i mean who knows if he gets this overturned he might be able to fight uh Imavov or maybe Gaslam again to to you know probably get that fight back so when it comes to those two guys they're both on the right path but for both of them, I can see them both breaking in the top 15 and top 10. So there, I know that I know that there has to be winners and losers of each fight. But I feel like these guys are going to have an upward trajectory no matter what. Because Gaston did a great job coming back. And Curtis was able to prove his ground against some of the elite in the division. And I think he'll be able to step in soon against someone in the top 10, top 15 maybe. To maybe get the middleweight division up and rolling again. Now, for Christian Rodriguez versus Raul Roses Jr., Christian Rodriguez, I gotta admit, he got he got a little bit, um, he got a little bit carried away 
it seemed in the first round. Like, it looks like Harul was just doing his thing and taking him down nonstop. And that's exactly what he was doing well. However, when Rodriguez was able to stop that takedown that Rosas was trying to get constantly, he was able to get top position. And then on top of that, he was able to scramble out and he was going for his own submissions and he was able to, you know, just halt all of the halt all of the momentum that Raul had earlier in the round. So I think for him, he needs to fight someone higher, like such as a Ricky Tercios, maybe in the to maybe break into like the top thirty or forty. And then uh for Rosas. Now my thing is this. I understand that in that fight that your game plan and you're really great on the ground. But you mentioned before that you could beat anyone in the top 10, top 15 for that matter. If you go up against anyone in the top 20 like like that, you have some elite level grapplers in that division. You have Umar and Saeed Nurmagomedov, you have Marlon Chito Vera, Piotr Jan, Aljamain Sterling, and Marab. Those are just some of the elite grapplers slash wrestlers slash like jujitsu specialists in that division because 135 is probably the most stacked it's ever been and you know you have some guys who are great strikers too because if Raul cannot land that takedown he's gonna have to stand and fight with some of the best fighters in the division I mean you have the best strikers such as O'Malley, Font, Yanez, Song Yadong and on top of that Piotr Jan you have some great guys who are in this top 10 top 20 that I feel like could beat Raul anywhere so I think right now he just needs to get better and like everywhere I mean his his takedown offense I mean it looked well but his shots looked like they were easily telegraphed to get the takedown and to get the fight on the ground so personally I think if he's gonna make a if he's gonna make a surge in the division he needs to upgrade his everything his striking and his takedowns everything so he needs to be ready for everything Take a minute to just learn, be a student of the game. You're a young fighter. I mean, you're only 18 years old, and you're on a you're on a big stage. And it's not about the pressure that got to him. It's just the fact that it looked like he only had one weapon, and that was the takedown. Because once you start getting your, your biggest weapon telegraphed, that just goes to show that you have this. There's always those comments where, oh, you just have this, and that's all you have. So he needs to be more diverse in his offense. And on top of that, he needs to be more unique in every single aspect of his game in order to perhaps be a champion. So that's all I got to say for that one. So then moving on for Kevin Holland. I mean, he played a great distance game. And, and let me tell you, his striking looked really good against Santiago. He was able to pick him apart. And uh, the best thing for him was how he was able to, it, it seemed, stay a little bit patient. And he was able to land shots whenever he wanted to, and he played a really great range game against Santiago. So, I think for Holland, I think he deserves to fight someone in the top 10, top 15, because he's been fighting guys on... He's been fighting anyone that the UFC has been giving him for so long. I mean, he's fought Derek Brunson. He fought Vittori on short notice. He fought, you know, Hamza on short notice. He's fought so many guys on short notice. And he fought Stephen Thompson. And Stephen Thompson, I mean, he did a great job at fighting Kevin. And Kevin was, was getting picked apart. But still, he has not said no to someone. So I think that if Kevin... Like, I think right now with that win against Ponzinibbio, who, who's arguably up there, I think that you give him a shot in the top 15. Top 15, top 10, in my opinion, for, for what he should go with next. And for Ponzinibbio, uh, I mean, I know he's going a little bit out outside of the sport right now, but 
probably give him someone someone around the Kevin Holland, you know, like range of the rankings. Someone like that, uh, someone who's on the outside looking in. And uh, you know, there's so many great fights that are for both of these guys. But all I know is that Kevin Holland should be on the ascension, going for top ten or top fifteen. Then for Adrian Yanez, I mean. This guy was the one guy that I was very excited to watch. And here's the thing. Um, I mean, he's a surging contender. And I understand that he has plenty of time in this game. And for him to lose against Rob Font, it's okay. It's completely okay. And, like, he got he got put up against a pretty high-level fighter. I mean, he was number 12, and he went up against number 6, Rob Font. And for Yanez, I mean, he shouldn't be discouraged. I mean, right now, he's, he's everything that he should be right now and I think that you give him time um he'll be able to develop and he'll be able to compete with some of the best in the division uh because I mean he took a great fight and he took a risk and I mean it it didn't work out in his favor he got knocked out but still it's okay I think that you just give him a chance to develop a little bit everywhere and on top of that try to be a little bit more patient because he was getting into a slugfest with one of the best fighters in the division with Rob Font so I think that for him, he should probably go up against Jonathan Martinez or maybe one of the or, uh, one of the Nurmagomedovs. Either one, either Saeed or Umar. Either one. Um, and then for Rob Font, I think he should go up against someone inside the top ten after a great win for that for that knockout. Um, so one of the things that he entertained was Davison Figueredo, who obviously had the first ever quadrilogy in the UFC. And he fought at 125, now he wants to fight at 135. So if he fights Figueredo, I could see that because Figueredo's been fighting some of the best fighters in the world for the past few years at flyweight. And for him to move up, I think it makes sense. And if you give him a chance to move up to 135, Rob Font would be a fun fight. But if you give Rob Font maybe someone like Dominic Cruz or Piotr Jan right now, I think it kind of makes sense. So there are so many great, interesting fights happening in bantamweight. But let me tell you, out of every single like big division that I talk about normally, um, where where we always say that there's that there's things holding it back and everything. For this fight right here, like and for this division right here, for any of these fights that I just mentioned for this division, um, there's so many great fights in Bantamweight and it seems like Bantamweight is constantly rolling. And that's one thing that lightweight and I mean lightweight and uh welterweight, those are obviously great divisions. But it seems like it's not rolling as constantly as it should because there's there's disputes with what the champion's going to do or who wants to fight who and everything like that. And I understand that, but I'm, all I know is that I'm very excited to see what we have next for the bantamweight division. Now, when it comes to Gilbert Burns, after his great one against Jorge Masvidal, who retired, first of all, Masvidal, thank you for your career. Thank you for everything you did inside the octagon. Um, but for Burns, he's in a little bit of a predicament, like I just said. Um, 170 seems like it's a little bit on a on a on a standstill right now, and the reason why you got to take a look at what's all there. I mean, you have Leon going up against Colby, which is kind of it's it's arguably not the best fight to make personally because I mean Colby hasn't fought for like about a year, and uh, I mean I know he fought Jorge, and I know that Gilbert is going up against you know some of the best contenders right now. Um, and, and he's been he's been fighting and he's won his last two um, against Magni and then he beats Jorge. So I think you give Gilbert a chance to go up against either Bilal Muhammad or uh, Shavkat Rachmanov because it makes sense because Hamza is apparently chasing a shot at middleweight and he said he wants to fight 
you know, Adesanya. So all I know is for these fights right here, I personally think that if you give Bilal to Burns, that would make more sense because they're both arguing about who should get the next title shot after Colby if that's actually going to happen. So if you give Burns and Bilal, I think that would just finally put everything to rest. If you give Bilal to fight Rachmanov or, you know, for him to fight Usman, I mean, those are a few other different things that Bilal could do. Um, but I just think when it comes to 170, there's so many different options, but if you give Burns a shot to maybe go up against Kamaru, if Kamaru is even entertaining the idea of fighting at 170 again, or if he wants to fight um, Bilal, if he wants to fight Bilal or Kamaru or even Shavka and he wins those fights, I think he should probably get the he should probably get the next title shot. I mean, same thing with Bilal. If Bilal fights any of those guys, if Bilal fights Burns or Rachmanov or Kamaru, I think he deserves to be the number one contender outright. No, no argument needed. So. Um, I think that that's probably next for Gilbert Burns. Now, for the interesting thing about UFC 287, for the main event, for Adesanya and Pereira, as a fan, I wanted Adesanya to win. And the reason why is because it's great to see a redemption story. And on top of that, it's great to see the possibility of trilogies. We love seeing trilogies in the combat sports world. There's so many great trilogies inside the UFC. Um, you have Stipe versus DC. So many, like, there's just, like, that's just one to name, like, a few. So, all I know is for after Pereira got finished, Adesanya said he wants to move on to another chapter, and there's speculation that there needs to be a third fight, which, in my opinion, I kind of didn't see where that came from. Um, but now I kind of see it. I kind of do. But I can see why Izzy says that. And the reason why is because for Pereira... Look at how many guys he had to fight just to get a title shot. He had his debut, then then he beat uh, Bruno Silva, then he knocked out Sean Strickland, then he beat Adesanya. So he only had four fights into a UFC title shot, and he won the title, and then he lost again. So all I'm saying is this. I think that if, like, the division right now is stacked for middleweight. I mean, there's so many great guys. You have Cannoneer, you have Vittori, you have Whitaker, you have Paulo Costa, who might be fighting Hamza next. All I know is that there are so many big things and so many questions that need to be answered of who is the outright uh, next in line for Adesanya. And that's what I'm going to get to in a minute. But apparently there's been an announcement that Pereira wants to fight at 205 next. And I think that's a great idea. And I'm not saying because now that Adesanya, I know that there's a lot of Izzy fanboys. I mean, here's the thing. I am a fan of Israel. But all I'm going to say is this. I'm not going to go with the narrative where it shows Adesanya says, oh, well, you know, I, I ran him out of the division. He didn't run him out of the division. And on top of that, I really like the idea of Pereira moving up to 205. The reason why, do you know how many great fights there are at 205 for Pereira? Pereira has so many great options. I mean, you give him a chance. Well, first of all, this is my first point about going up to 205. First things first, I don't think he deserves a title shot immediately. I don't think he deserves it immediately after, um, you know, fighting Jamal Hill. I don't think so. But um, look at how many fights there are in light heavyweight for Pereira. You have Anthony Smith, you have Rockets, you have Johnny Walker, Uzdemir, Blahovich, Ankalaev, and Yuri Prohashka. You have so many great fights for Pereira to be welcomed in the two uh, the two hundred five pound division. 
And but like I said, I just don't think that Jamal should fight Pereira outright already, unless unless Jamal is entertaining that idea. So all I'm saying is there's so many great moves for Pereira in his next fight. So I really do think that if you give like if you give Pereira the opportunity to go at 205 and stay at 205, I think that Pereira can fight all of these guys. I mean, I don't know if he'll win because we've seen what happens when he when he gets caught by a shot, but I mean, that can be anybody. You know, but I would love to see him go up against a heavy hitter such as Blahovich or fight Yuri Prohoshka. I mean, there's so many interesting fights for Pereira, so I think no matter what he does next at 205, it's destined to be a banger fight, and I'm really excited to see what he's going to do next. Now, for Adesanya, he won a great fight, and like I said, as a fan, I was excited about that because there's another potential fight in the future for them to have a trilogy in MMA, and I like that idea. But look at what he has, what he said. I mean, what he said is valid, but would I like to see him fight Pereira again? Yes. And there's speculation about maybe, you know, Adesanya going up to 205 to challenge Pereira if he gets the the 205-pound belt. I get that. But here's the thing. Adesanya has beaten everyone in the top five, including Pereira. He's beaten Whitaker twice, Vittori twice, Cannoneer, and Costa by finish. And now you have to take a look at uh, Drickus Duplessis, who's been doing his thing, a uh, new prospect from South Africa, been doing his thing. Um, he dominated Darren Till, and then he was able to knock out Derek Brunson, a, another great contender in the in the 185-pound division. So there's so many great fights that make sense for Adesanya. And, I mean, there's there's been talks about Chemaev, but here's the thing. There's always talks about Chemaev. So what I think is next for Izzy, out of, like, the best options... I think, well, if if it's true for Pereira, ideally the Pereira fight would just be good to end it all. I mean, and one of the things that I do have to admit, as a fan, I commented crickets on his on his press like on his press conference post fight, and the reason why is because there was so much there was so much, you know, conversation about Alex always could beat Izzy, Izzy can never do it, and I gotta stop being biased because if I'm gonna be if I'm gonna be doing this. That's exactly what I don't want to do. I don't want to be biased. But that was just me as a fan. As a fan, I like I like Izzy. Um, but if they fight again, I think it makes sense. I really do. I'm not opposed 100%. I would love to see that fight again. Then, but if we're talking about some of the other big options, that's one. Number two, I think maybe Duplessis because they're, they're currently having a... Uh, a war of words right now, verbal jabs back and forth from the two gentlemen, and then you have if Costa maybe beats Chemaev, or if Chemaev beats Costa, the winner of that fight, that makes sense. Or you you could see if Whitaker does something or Vittori does something to make their chance to get a trilogy with Israel. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Those are those are just the few for that. Um, but as far as for 287, that wraps that up. Now, let's go ahead and move into probably one of the most interesting pieces of news that has been um, around that I saw yesterday. And and kind of looking at the interview, I was very stu- like, I was very uh, confused, stunned, basically. So what it is is there's a big fight for UFC 289. It is headlined by Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena, three for the Bantamweight title for the women's division. Now, my thoughts on this. For anyone who saw the first fight with Pena versus Nunes, Pena did exactly what she said that she was going to do, take her down and submit her and get her back and win. And that's exactly what she did. But then the second fight, 
I understand that trilogies come around in the UFC by by you know where it makes sense where there's there's a finish from one fight and then there's a finish from another. I get that a hundred percent. But my thing is this: you had Stipe lose to DC the first time that they fought by knockout. Then Stipe beat DC by knockout, and then the third fight was a decision win for Stipe. So, and you have to take a look at their resumes. You know what I mean? And it wasn't it wasn't like like those three fights were outright dominant, and and like it wasn't something where someone would get. 50-45 dominated on every on every scorecard because here's the thing there was a lot of speculation that Pena got lucky on the first fight everything like that but guess what she won whether she got quote unquote lucky or not she won and then you have to take a look at the second fight that they had Nunez came back and she nearly dominated every single round and she was able to drop Pena and she was able to control Pena at times but when I saw an interview with Pena on with uh, Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour, um, excuse me. One of the things that I saw was that Pena said that she was. Pena said that Amanda Nunez was was not going to fight her. And another thing that she said that she knows that she can't stand with me. And she also said that it's one fighter who can be finished and another who can't be finished. And in my opinion, if Pena, if Pena really thinks that way. I think that Amanda could have could have knocked her out before because she was constantly landing. And the fact that the fact that Pena says that, you know, Nunez is scared to stand with her when Nunez's striking is so much better than Pena's, hundred percent. And on top of that, for her to for for Nunez to win that fight 50-43 and Pena asked for the immediate rematch. Personally, I don't think that makes sense. I really don't. And I understand that the fight makes sense when you have a good resume and Pena does have a good resume but if we're talking about like some of the be- like some of the biggest trilogies such as Volkanovski versus Holloway I'm not talking about I'm not talking about like when it comes to you know one fighter winning flat out all three I'm not saying that I'm just talking about regular trilogies in general they have to be warranted and earned it makes sense because if you have two fi- if you have if you have two of the fights one by the same fighter, for example, if Volkanovski, you know, Volkanovski beat Max twice, and Max had to fight for that third fight, I get that, 100%. But let's say that you have someone who beat you by, by, uh, by like a submission or a knockout in the first fight, and then the person that got knocked out dominates the second fight, 100%. It almost kind of raises questions, does she deserve it or anything like that? Um... And for Pena, I mean, I think she just got dominated that entire fight. And personally, if Pena does get this fight with uh, Nunez, I personally think that Nunez wins this fight 100%. Um, but as far as for that, and she's saying, I mean, Pena's saying that she wants to focus on being a mom uh, for Nunez. And she's saying that Nunez just is, is one foot out the door. I get that. But at the same time, there's so many other people at 135 who looks like they deserve it, such as Irene Aldana. And on top of that, you have Holly Holm. You have so many great guys or so many great women who are out there and they look like they have a a stronger case than Juliana after that fight. And on top of that, new blood in the division too um, because they've been holding up the the division for quite a while. 
Um, but anyway, moving on to the next thing, Nate Diaz versus Jake Paul has been announced for August 15th. I mean, for 5th, excuse me. Guys, this right here is probably one of the most pointless fights, in my opinion. Now, I understand that a lot of people are going to say, well, why? Because it's Nate Diaz, or why? Because of Jake Paul. Listen, for Jake to lose his last fight against Tommy Fury, I personally think that he called for the rematch with Tommy. So why not take the fight with Tommy? Why not reach out to Tommy? And then on top of that, for Nate, why would Nate go up against Jake Paul in boxing? Why not he fight someone who's who's like on the influencer side of things with game-bred boxing with, um, well, that's not influencer, but why not do something that Jorge's doing? Jorge has, you know, former guys like Anthony Pettis, Roy Jones Jr. He has so many older guys that fought in the UFC that are boxing right now. Personally, I would want to fight a high-level athlete and you know who's who's like a who comes from a combat sports background like an actual combat sports background and Nate Diaz versus Jake Paul it just is a money cash grab and personally with Jake I understand that Jake can be a draw I get that but he's going back to what got him to the dance in the first place fighting older guys who don't really have that much of a boxing background now I understand that Nate Diaz has a has a has a specialty in boxing as he trains under Andre Ward but my thing is this what's the point Nate should be fighting some someone else and I understand that that Nate said that he's the biggest thing in boxing Jake is but for for Jake it's like it doesn't make sense for you you said that you want to be a quote world champion you got to fight boxers to be a world champion you can't just fight all these guys who are who are making their boxing debuts and they're trying to become that he's trying to become a champion, but you can't just do that by fighting guys who aren't even ranked on, you know, the world boxing, the world boxing rankings. So I'm just saying it just, I think it just makes more sense when you fight people who are actual boxers and you don't just do these types of fights personally. And if Jake wants to be a world champion, like he says, he's going to have to stop fighting these type of guys. And I'm not saying that just because I like Nate Diaz. I do like Nate Diaz, but I'm being for real in this fight. It just doesn't make any sense for it for either. Um, and personally, if I have to go with the prediction, I think Jake Paul wins this fight personally, because I think that Jake's going to land the, the better shots. And I don't think that Nate really is going to be able to handle that because he's, he's also fighting someone who's a lot bigger than Nate hundred percent. And, uh, but lastly we have Holloway versus Arnold Allen. So this right here, Holloway said that after watching the Adesanya versus Pereira fight, he said that he's inspired to maybe get a fourth fight with Volkanovsky. Now here's the thing. Holloway is still one of the top of the division. I mean, he's already beaten so many guys. Yair Rodriguez, he's beaten Brian Ortega when he had the belt. He beat Jose Aldo twice. He's beaten, you know, Calvin Cater. He's beaten so many guys already. Um, And I think right now, for Holloway, if he beats Arnold Allen and he continues to beat everyone at the division, personally, I think he's already, I mean, he's, he's already hinted at going to 155. But Arnold has incredible striking. I mean, we saw his power against Dan Hooker. And on top of that, he's just been constantly on a roll. He is a new prospect in the 145-pound division. But with Yair Rodriguez and Volkanovski both apparently going to fight at International Fight Week coming in July, I think that makes sense 100%. Um, but whoever wins that fight, and if, and if Max wins this fight, 
he might get a title fight next. I mean, there's so many different options at 145, but um, as far as this fight right here, I got I got Holloway by decision, personally. But anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening to this quick UFC recap and everything. So I'll be back with you guys later as I'll be talking about the NBA playoffs coming soon. So stay tuned for that. Peace out.